Hi everybody, this is God Sad. I wasn't planning on doing a sad truth today. I've got a million things to do, but uh, this morning I woke up, saw a an article on Substack written by Susie Weiss. I'm guessing that this is the uh, sister of Barry Weiss. It's on Barry Weiss's uh, Substack uh, platform. Uh, I got pissed off reading it. I weighed in on social media, but I thought that I would post this on uh, my show because it really... Uh, captures where we've arrived as as a society. So here we go. So the article, the title of the article is "He was a world-renowned cancer researcher. Now he's collecting unemployment behind the fall of David Sabatini, one of the greatest scientists of his generation." In 2018, David Sabatini was a world-renowned molecular biologist. He was a tenured professor at MIT. He ran a major lab at the White House Whitehead Institute overseeing a team of 39 researchers, postdocs, and technicians. Their job was to disentangle the mystery of the MTOR signaling pathway, a protein Sabatini had discovered while still in medical school at Johns Hopkins. The mTOR signaling pathway plays a critical role in tumor development. Figuring out how it works would go a long way towards saving countless lives. This was why Sabatini was predicted to win the Nobel Prize. It was how he reeled in between three and four million dollars every year for his lab from the National Institutes of Health, the Pentagon, and the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, among others. It is why his colleagues have described him to me with words like genius, one of the best scientists alive, and a pillar. It's like working for Steve Jobs. He can be brutal, said one scientist, but why would you want to work for anyone else? Today, Sabatini is unemployed and unemployable. No one wants to be associated with him. Those who do risks losing their jobs, publishing opportunities, friends, visas, and huge federal grants. What wormhole did my life take to billionaires and protests and being called a sexual predator? What quirk in the universe allowed this to happen? Sabatini asked me. So you let's see what he did that ended his career. Was he a serial recidivist pedophile let's see the entrance to the wormhole can be found in rockville maryland at a hotel that sabatini was staying at while attending a conference about lysosomes and cancer sponsored by the national institutes of health there on the night of april 18 2018 after an evening of whiskey tasting sabatini is a whiskey aficionado he and christine naus or knaus had sex. Naus was an incoming cancer researcher at the Whitehead, where she would also head her own lab. Hers focused on liver regeneration. He was 15. She was 29. She was 29. She's a child. She's a child. He had split with his wife and was in the process of getting a divorce. The next month, they met up at Knaus's condo near Boston Common, where they discussed a few ground rules for their tryst. They agreed they would they could see other people. Knaus Sabatini remembers had ongoing flings with men who she referred to with nicknames like anesthesiologist, fuck buddy, finance bro, and physics professor. What a nice way to remove their identities. And she wanted to keep it that way. Also, they wouldn't tell anyone. Why complicate things at work? It was all supposed to be fun. So, so far, it seems as though it was a consensual uh relationship between two consenting adults but then in august 2018 the whitehead adopted a new consensual sexual and romantic relationships policy 
which stated that lab heads couldn't have a consensual or sexual relationship with any co-workers. Not going to HR right then was my critical mistake, Sabatini told me. At the time, Sabatini didn't think it mattered much. Things were fizzling. He still cared for Knaus, and they were still close. He had a cancer scare in late 2018, and when he found out he wasn't dying, she was one of the few people he texted. But he was getting involved with another woman, a microbiologist in Germany. I hope that woman, by the way, was well into her 40s, because you wouldn't want to have a, you know, a sexual relationship with a consenting adult who is a child in her 30s. Knaus didn't want to let go. In January 2020, she texted in part, I get anxious when I don't hear back from you and then I see you post stuff on Twitter and it provides an admittedly small and silly but still another bit of evidence to this growing feeling that you don't care about me in the way that I care about you. Boy, she seems really scared of the sexual monster. He wrote back, I'm sorry but you are being crazy. In another text, Knaus admitted feeling stung. She added, I think it's worth, it's worth thinking about whether you want someone who matches your passion, intellect, and ambition. He wrote back, I have to explore this. Knaus declined to talk to me. This account is based on interviews with Sabatini. More than a dozen colleagues of both Sabatini and Knaus, legal filings, text messages, emails, and documents obtained exclusively by Common Sense. That's the name of the platform from which I'm reading this article. For a few months, Knaus broke off communication with him. Then COVID hit. In April 2020, she reached out via text. She made, she made a dorky joke about the pandemic and enemas. They griped about COVID safety protocols. She invited him and his son to her family's beach house on Cape Cod for some low-density private beach and pool action. She bought a new red Audi and sent him a picture of it. Her grandmother died and he told her he was sorry for her loss and they went back and forth about her traveling to Pennsylvania for the funeral. A big hug he texted her and safe travels. My goodness, this guy seems like a monster. Then in late summer or early fall, when the whole country was gripped by protests and riots, everyone was apologizing and reckoning something changed. In October 2020, Knaus texted her friends that she was unpacking a ton of suppressed abuse and trauma from an obvious local source, an apparent reference to Sabatini. Knaus's fellowship at the Whitehead was ending and she didn't apply for any faculty jobs there. When the new director, Ruth Lehman, called Knaus to ask why Knaus complained for the first time of being harassed, in quotes. In November, Knaus warned her friend, an incoming Whitehead fellow, to squeeze out as much advice as possible before your mentor is Weinsteined out of science. In December, at Lehman's behest, the consulting firm's Jones Diversity sent the Whitehead employee a survey based in part on Dr. Knaus's false complaint about Dr. Sabatini, according to a complaint later brought by Sabatini. All participants were anonymous. Five or so of the nearly 40 employees in Sabatini's lab took part. The next month, two former Sabatini lab members lodged complaints to HR, the first complaint against him in his 24-year tenure about bro culture in the lab. You know what? Uh, Joe Rogan is worth a couple of hundred million dollars. Whenever I go on his show, I've been there I think eight times now, there's a lot of bro culture there. I think it's time for me to file a lawsuit against the pervasive bro culture whenever I appear on Joe's show. 
This prompted the Whitehead to hire the law firm Hinckley, Allen & Snyder to conduct an investigation on, quote, gender bias and or inequities and a retaliatory leadership in the Sabatini lab, close quote. The Whitehead never told Sabatini that he was acu- what he was accused of. Former lab members told me their co-workers were sobbing when they came out of meetings with the lawyers, saying that the lawyers had put words in their mouths. They have... They had a very strong agenda, one of them told me. In retrospect, it was already over for this once-in-a-generation scientist. On January 19, 2020, Knaus texted Sabatini, quote, The only certainty in your life now and forever is that you love your son and your lab more than anything else. Be careful not to abandon them despite your current mental state. Take care, close quote. A little more than a year and a half later, on August 13, 2021, the lawyers finished their 248-page report. Holy moly, that must have been costly. A few days after that, Sabatini was at home when he got the email with the Whitehead report attached to it. Soon after, an invitation for a short meeting with Lehman appeared on his calendar. She had never bothered to meet one-on-one with the most famous person on her payroll, and he suspected what was up. He called his lawyers immediately and they confirmed that he was about to be fired. In the 24 hours after the report came out, Sabatini's life fell apart. MIT put him on administrative leave. The Howard Hughes Medical Institute, another prestigious nonprofit that funds biomedical research and was paying Sabatini's salary, fired him. He resigned from the Whitehead and eventually MIT at the advice of his lawyers who thought it would help him secure his next job. I 100% regret that, Sabatini told me. Soon, the biotech startups he'd helped found, Navitor Pharmaceuticals, KSQ, and Race Therapeutics started severing their relationship with him. Sabatini was axed from professorships, fellowships, and professional societies. Awards and grants were pulled. His income disappeared. Remember what this is about. It's about him having a consensual relationship with an adult and he didn't have direct power over her as you will shortly see he did not have the power to fire her he did not have the power as i understand it to promote her it's just that they were co-workers and they had a sexual relationship where she certainly seemed to be motivated to keep that relationship going on august 20, Lehman officially cut ties with Sabatini in an email sent to the whole institute that was leaked to the Boston Globe within minutes. The news was circulating on Twitter within hours. I lost everything. My whole life imploded, Sabatini said. I became a shell of what I was. Sabatini stopped sleeping at home, so he didn't have to hear the FedEx envelopes plopping down on his doormat, invariably another letter from another institution cutting ties with him. He toggled between his brother's home, Bernardo Sabatini, a professor of neurobiology, runs his own lab at Harvard Medical School, and his ex-wife's. He stopped eating and sleeping. He went on unemployment and dropped 35 pounds in three months. He cried a lot and his hair was falling out. A friend of Sabatini told me he sent Sabatini articles about mTOR to keep him preoccupied and sleeping pills to help him crash at night. Nothing worked. Another friend, a fellow scientist, explained, quote, I love my science, but I also have other interests. David isn't like that. Science is his one and only, close quote. So what exactly had those 248 pages said? 
What had Sabat David Sabatini been found guilty of that merited this kind of punishment? For those of you who are still with me, are you ready to see what a horrible person Dr. Sabatini is? Get ready. Chiefly, failing to disclose his consensual relationship with Knaus. On top of that, of that the report found that Sabatini in his day-to-day -day administration of the lab violated the Whitehead's anti-harassment policy since his, quote, behavior created a sexualized undercurrent in the lab, close quote. Sabatini's relationship with Knaus exacerbated things given his indirect influence over her, which violated the anti-harassment policy and ran afoul of the spirit, if not the letter of another of the Institute's policies. True, he didn't supervise Knaus. He didn't work directly with her. He never threatened her or proposed the quid quo pro quo, and he certainly didn't have the power to fire her. But according to the report, he had, quote, experience, stature, and age over her. Could you imagine that fucker was older than her? Are we going to tolerate when one person is older than another? No way. This can't be tolerated. Knaus's apparent desire to continue their relationship only served to confirm his influence. Quote, that she felt the need to act fun to impress Sabatini underscores how Sabatini's words and actions profoundly impacted her. Close quote, the lawyers wrote. You know, he, he, he forced her to, to be a fun person and, he, you know, she felt forced to be extroverted and that was because of his age and stature. I mean, he's a, he's a monster. I mean, you got Ted Bundy, you got David Sabatini, I can't tell who's whom. Nor did the lawyers care for the happy hours and whiskey, whiskey tastings that Sabatini sometimes hosted in his office, which betrayed his apparent friendliness and general propensity to have fun. Knaus, in her counterclaim, says the events were drunken and conversations quite frequently veered to the sexual. Quote, while we have not found any evidence that Sabatini discriminates against or fails to support females in his lab, we, we find that Sabatini's propensity to praise or gravitate toward those in the lab that mirror his desired personality traits, scientific success, or view of science above all else creates additional obstacles for female lab members, the report concluded. Are you fucking kidding me? Let me read this again. While we have not found any evidence that Sabatini discriminates against or fails to support females in his lab, we find that Sabatini's propensity to praise or gravitate towards those in the lab that mirror his desired personality traits, scientific success, or view of science above all else creates additional obstacles for female lab members. You know, he's creating an environment of excellence where you're supposed to get stuff done. He expects you to be high performing. You know how damaging that is to female lab members? By the way, I don't have to do this uh, thing, right? It's likely only going to bring me negative attention. Do you know why I do it? Because I have a backbone. Because I have a spine. Because I'm a principled human being. Because I have testicles. Even though I never met David Sabatini. I see what has happened to him. And because I'm empathetic, I feel the injustice. Just like you should be feeling the injustice at me losing 58% of my 
book royalties. This was baffling to everyone I spoke to. Nine of Sabatini's current and former lab employees, a, a current faculty member at the Whitehead, and half a dozen top doctors and scientists in Sabatini's field. Most of them would not speak on the record for fear of being associated with Sabatini and derailing their own careers. Look what a bunch of wimpy cowards. I'm not associated with Sabatini, and yet I'm associating myself with his story. Quote, it's impossible to be honest about this and preserve your own skin, close quote, says a scientist who recently worked under Sabatini. I have more testosterone and integrity in one finger than all these assholes put together. This is why we are in the predicament we are in today, because people are cowardly. People look at other people being victimized and either say, who gives a damn or I'm not going to get involved. Who cares? This is why the government can tax you to death. This is why I'm desperately trying to leave Canada because there is no point in me being the person that I am in a place where the government says, you are a huge success. You will pay, asshole. We will steal everything that you create. That trainee called the report's depiction of the lab an alternate reality and the characterization of Sabatini as lascivious and retaliatory, deeply insane. So everybody in the lab is saying, this is all crazy. He's not anything bad. They have the wrong guy, a female scientist who knows Sabatini and Knaus told me. A female former trainee told me that the climate in Sabatini's lab was one of excellence. She said that Sabatini could be demanding, but he was never demeaning or unfair. I try to emulate him in my own lab, another female former trainee said. A third female trainee said the lab could be informal, but it was hardly a locker room. It just wasn't in the air. I asked a former technician about the notorious whiskey tastings. These weren't keggers, he said. Bench scientists and party don't generally overlap. The allegations over the relationship and the ones about the lab's culture served to reinforce each other. If Sabatini was so ill-advised as to hook up with a younger colleague, surely his bad judgment spilled over into his extremely well-funded lab. Making such a claim also appeared to be advantageous to the whitehead. For one, it would allow Lehman to be seen as a no-nonsense leader with zero tolerance for the sexism in science that she saw as a challenge. It would also pacify Knaus, who wanted to see Sabatini fired publicly. You scorned me. You rejected me. I will destroy you now. Part of me just wants to organize a protest outside of Whitehead and this would be over in a matter of hours, not weeks, wrote Knaus to a friend during the investigation. Then there is the money. Until recently, the NIH deterred institutions from firing or even investigating scientists who brought in a lot of NIH money because that money usually flowed, followed the scientists, not the institutions. So for years, universities and other research organizations often turned a blind eye to their superstars' bad behavior for fear of losing multi-million dollar grants. To correct this, the NIH amended its policy in June 2020. Moving forward, if principal investigators are accused of, quote, harassment, bullying, retaliation, or hostile working conditions, close quote, recipient institutions are obligated to alert the NIH, who would use the information to decide whether or not to reassign the grant. The NIH hoped to end the game of pass the harasser. 
The Whitehead's arrangement with NIH is especially lucrative. On top of all the grant money it brings in, the Institute also gets a nearly 95% facilities and administrative or F&A fee, as insiders put it. Usually NIH pays organizations 25 to 50%. Every 500,000 Sabatini reeled in was actually worth closer to $1 million to the Whitehead. Quote, once they decided a priori to fire him, that kind of dictated how the investigation needed to be done in order to keep any NIH money, close quote, said a former trainee. Quote, it would be a perfect kill shot. By doing it the way they did, they guaranteed he couldn't be hired and where he's going to take the grants if he can't be hired, close quote. At least a few of Sabatini's grants were transferred to Jonathan Weissman, who is currently listed as the principal investigator on, quote, novel components of the mTORC1 and mTORC2 pathways and, quote, cell growth signaling and cancer development and regulation of the mTOR pathway by nutrients worth 487500 and 463125 and 416813 respectively. In October 2021, Sabatini filed a lawsuit against Knus, Lehman, and the Whitehead. He claimed that Knus had fabricated claims that he had sexually harassed her and that the Whitehead's investigation was a sham. A few weeks later, Knus filed a counterclaim that accused Sabatini, among other things, of sexual grooming. Remember, she's 29 years old. We usually think of grooming as what pedophiles do to children. I spoke with Ellen Zucker, Knaus's attorney, for nearly an hour, but she insisted on not saying anything on the record. Knaus declined to comment, so did Lehman, the Whitehead's director. At a meeting after Sabatini's case was filed on November 3, 2021, Lehman K. Hodge, the Whitehead's attorney and the head of HR, informed those left in the lab that NIH rules barred those who had worked under Sabatini from having any contact with him at all. I mean, he is, he's Ebola. Do not speak to this guy. Do not talk to him. Erase him from your memory. He had a consensual sexual relationship with a 29-year-old woman on whom he has no authority. He cannot fire her. He has only indirect influence over her because of his stature and age. You heard me say this. All right, let's keep going. When some of them objected, Sabatini at that point was just a guy living in Boston. A scientist who was there recalled Hodge warning them, you wouldn't want to jeopardize your future eligibility for NIH funding. There was a chill in the room. That's a death sentence, the scientist said. Is this the kind of environment you want in a free society, in a fair society, in a scientifically enlightened society? The whole thing was baffling to those who knew Sabatini. Quote, it's as if the best player in the NFL got cut because he said something politically incorrect on social media, close quote. Peter Atia, a medical expert on longevity and a close friend of Sabatini, told me, quote, in my opinion, he's one of the top five scientists of his generation in my area, close quote, said Ben Neal, who runs NYU's Cancer Center. I asked a former trainee what she made of Sabatini's reputation, quote, you don't have to ask me, just look at his PubMed, she said, referring to his copious list of published findings. In late 2021, six months after he resigned, Daphna Barzaghi, the vice dean of science at NYU's Longone Health, 
which comprises New York University's medical school and several hospitals, called Sabatini. He was an old friend. She knew about everything that had happened, and she wanted to check in on him. He lamented that no one would ever hire him again. Barsaghi said he was being silly. Of course, she said someone somewhere would give him a job. He was the famous David Sabatini. Finally, he asked her point blank, would she? On a bright, breezy Wednesday morning in late April on the corner of 30th Street and 1st Avenue in the shadow of the huge glass buildings that make up part of NYU's long-gone health, the protesters were chanting, Whose school? Our school! And someone was screaming, Safety! They were angry, incredulous. Many of the postdocs and researchers and faculty were waving posters that said things like, What the fuck at NYU? And no to Sabatini. They could not believe that this was going to happen. I mean, he's a sexual predator. He had a sexual relationship, consensual, with a 29-year-old woman who felt intimidated by his age and stature. What kind of monster is that? They hadn't read the lawyer's report, but they had read the internet and they didn't like what they read. New York University was about to hire a serial sexual harasser as one of the demonstrators put it, trading grant dollars for their trainee safety. So where could a superstar researcher do his research? Where does the guy who's going to help cure cancer go? A prison? Madeline Sutherland, a postdoc, told me. I mean, listen, we need to protect society from men who have consensual relationships with women. We need, we can't have that. We're a sexually reproducing species, and I think we should not be tolerating consensual sexual intimacy between adults. If we allow that, I mean, who knows what could happen? Babies can be created. We cannot tolerate this. So I agree with Madeline Sutherland, this hero, who said she would not feel safe anymore working at NYU if this monster who had sex with a woman, a consensual sexual relationship, were to come to her school. How could she be safe? The demonstration was sparked by an article in Science Magazine that reported that NYU higher-ups and Sabatini had been in talks for several months. Nothing was set in stone. There was no formal offer on the table. The work was exhaustive to vet Sabatini, Ken Longone, the billionaire philanthropist and chair of the board of trustees of the NYU language. NYU Langone Medical Center tells me, quote, if there was anything untoward about this man's behavior, we would not have touched him with a 10-foot pole, close quote. Untoward? The guy had a consensual relationship with a woman. A man had a heterosexual relationship with a woman from work. That which happens millions of times around the world where people meet one another at work, fall in love and get married. Are we going to tolerate that as a society for people to go out there, have heterosexual sex between consenting adults? How is that not transphobic? By us normalizing heterosexual mating, we are marginalizing non-binary asexual voices. And I, for one, will not stand for that. Say no to heterosexual coupling. Quote, David is one of the greatest scientists of our century. I know another addressing you right here who's got balls. Barsaghi told me, hoping to clear the way for Sabatini and wary of not appearing insensitive to the Whitehead Report's findings, NYU was conducting its own investigation. 
at the risk, Barsaghi said, of depriving society of the benefit of having someone like this continuing their career and making really meaningful discoveries that can affect human health for generations. This guy might be on the cusp of curing cancer and we're going to give him a lab when he had sex with a woman and it was consensual and she didn't want it to end? No way. Screw it. We're going to allow millions of people to die of cancer, but at least we'll get rid of this monster. This heterosexual monster. NYU shared the Whitehead report with several outside layers who all concluded that Sabatini was not afforded due process. As my hero, Sam Harris, has made it clear, due process doesn't apply to pigs like Donald Trump or this heterosexual guy, David Sabatini. There is no due process. There is no presumption of innocence when you're dealing with a dangerous guy who had sex with another woman that was consensual. This is disgusting. We can't tolerate that. But the internal pressure, the bad press, and the tweets from within and without NYU were becoming too much. Postdocs at the medical school were threatening to retract papers. Faculty had been had been ostracized for not publicly blasting Sabatini. That's why I am blasting him. Right here, on the record, David Sabatini is a monster. He is John Wayne Gacy. He's Hitler. He had a consensual sexual relationship with a child who was only 29 years old. I stand with all the anti-Sabatini folks. Andrew Hamilton, NYU's president, sent a letter strongly advising that the medical school not go through with hiring Sabatini. Faculty at the university and elsewhere have been told not to work with us, and also speakers are being told not to come here an NYU administrator texted a colleague. On May 3rd, NYU announced, after careful and thorough consideration that included the perspectives of many stakeholders, both Dr. David Sabatini and NYU Grossman School of Medicine have reached the conclusion that it will not be possible for him to become a member of our faculty. Close quote. If people are close-minded to the idea that there can be a consensual relationship between two adults, I'm afraid we can't make any traction, said Grossman, the dean of NYU Medical School. Neil, who would have become the second most famous cancer researcher at NYU had Sabatini been hired, tells me, quote, I find it all deeply disappointing and frightening, close quote, and yet you didn't put yourself on the line to protect him. As if all this weren't enough, the NIH started making noise. They'd gotten several anonymous complaints about Barsagi. She had never had any complaint about her in her entire career. Her apparent crime appears to have been initiating the conversation with Sabatini. Fire her! She actually spoke to him. Anyone who has ever spoken to Sabatini should be sent to a mandatory five-year retreat where you keep replaying the sexual training uh, you know, module that now is at all universities. Anyone who's ever said hello, exhibited any sort of empathetic or warmth towards Sabatini must stand forward under a truth and justice commission and they must do their five years of mandatory sexual harassment training. Last week, NIH officials sent NYU a letter questioning Barsaghi's ability to provide a safe environment for trainees. It's pretty 
interesting message, said Grossman. NIH also informed the university that it was auditing Barsagi's involvement in over $500 million in grant money that it had awarded to NYU. My tax dollars go for this kind of stuff. Most of that $470 million is for a study on long COVID. Sabatini told me he has a recurring nightmare. He's trapped in the Whitehead building when he discovers he's not allowed to be there. He frantically tries to get to an exit, but he never makes it out. In real life, he has no idea what became of his lab or the millions of dollars of equipment and reagents uh, there or the half-finished experiments, including projects on neurodegeneration and ovarian cancer. Most everyone has left. Sabatini spends his days shuffling around, watching Netflix, caring for his 11-year-old son, and taking calls from lawyers. He got job offers from China, Russia, and the United Arab Emirates, places that don't care about the things he's accused of. Knaus is now an assistant professor of biology at MIT. Nice. And she runs her own lab at the Koch Institute for Integrative Cancer Research, named after the late MIT alum and conservative mega-donor David H. Koch following a $100 million gift. What's the gift that I should receive for the endless professors that I put my neck on the line to defend because I'm trying to defend first principles? What should be the money that comes to me? One wonders whether the very rich people shoveling piles of money into these institutions have any idea what's going on within them. At the protest, I met Tulsi Patel, a postdoc at Columbia. Patel tells me about a new bullying policy at Columbia, which she helped to write to deal with, quote, power-based harassment that doesn't fall into the already illegal categories like sex and race-based harassment. Quote, we recommend calling it the Office of Conflict Resolution, just to make it sound like a chill thing, like it's about resolving conflicts, Patel said. The provost is reviewing the proposal. Grossman, the dean of NYU's medical school, talks a lot about, quote, listening to our community and believing in the process. But the protesters don't really care about any of that. They're playing a different game. They know that if they make enough noise, if they claim enough harm, NYU or any other school that brands itself as inclusive or progressive will give in. And even if Sabatini were hired, no one would have worked with him. It would have been social suicide too. Many of the researchers and postdocs I spoke to pointed out that as scientists, it's essential to look carefully at all the evidence and to leave no stern unturned. The way the Whitehead and MIT conducted uh, their investigation into David Sabatini's runs counter, they say, to the scientific method itself. Oh, you don't say. It also sends a clear message that groundbreaking research takes a backseat to an ideal of social purity and that subjective truth is the only truth that matters. That child, that 29-year-old child who was groomed into a consensual relationship with this guy whom she was sending texts to, sad that the relationship had ended, was being groomed by this monster. Quote, In my lab, there were two criteria we always strive toward, that the discovery is fundamentally true, which means providing it in many different ways, and that it's new. Close quote, Sabatini said. Hmm, smells like nomological networks of cumulative evidence. Everyone talks about your truth and my truth. Physically, chemically, there's only one truth. Hmm. I wonder if someone's already said this in this book, of which, you know, I only own 42% of the proceeds. Well, I want to thank 
uh, Susie Weiss for writing this brilliant investigative uh, article. Uh, look, I, I only know what I read here, right? And all I know is that it doesn't smell good. It doesn't smell good in that it doesn't make sense that this individual's life should be ended, his career should be ended for having had a consensual sexual relationship with a woman who was almost 30 years old who was not under his direct influence. Again, don't get me wrong. Having sexual relationships with people with whom you have control over, that's wrong. Hey, listen, I met my wife, not in university. I met my wife when I had been uh, invited to offer some lectures at a company. So, of course, the the ethics there are very different. I'm not assigning grades and so on. Uh, Hey, maybe I should erase the existence of our children because we met in the workplace and maybe I was grooming her because I am exceptionally good-looking, very high status, unbelievably charming, so I am grooming her via my intoxicating charisma. You know what? There might be a case here against me. This is what I tweeted earlier today. Tons of people meet prospective mates at work. Tons of people get married to others whom they met at work. In many such instances, the two parties are not of equal rank, but they are consenting adults who are making decisions about their reproductive trajectory. Imagine a world whereby consenting adults, persons A and B, cannot engage in a consensual relationship because HR has deemed it a fireable offense to do so. Quote, I love you, I want to marry you, but we could never do so because I don't want to be fired unless one of us quits their job. Close quote. Sexual harassment is diabolical. Using your occupational rank to intimidate someone for sex is criminal. But... Having two consenting adults make reproductive choices is the most fundamental effing Darwinian right that one has. I should write The Parasitic Mind, the sequel. Close, and that's it. That's the end of that, the the set of tweets. So let me wrap this up. A a brilliant cancer researcher who may be in a position to uh, unlock some of the mysteries of cancers, maybe save millions of lives, has lost his entire career because he had a sexual relationship with a woman where there was, I mean, there's no harassment that was depicted. There was no coercion. There was no quid pro quo. There was no, you better have sex with me or else I can ruin your career. All of those things would be criminal and he should receive what he has received and more. But none of that was there. There was a man and there was a woman. We're a sexually reproducing species. We typically meet others, prospective suitors who become our spouses at work. They liked each other. They were attracted to each other. They had sex. Their relationship ended. She kept writing to him because she, she, you know, she missed him. When things went sour, maybe she was scorned. Suddenly, he becomes a sexual harasser, a sexual predator. Everybody disowns him. He loses everything. The hundreds of millions of dollars disappeared whatever it is whatever the amount was and now he's walking around wondering what happened to him why am i doing this for 40 minutes i have a book to write i have tax issues to deal with i've got a million things i don't know david sabatini but you know what i do know i know justice i know decency 
I know first principles. I know deontological ethics. And therefore, when I see this story, assuming that it is perfectly veridical, my sense of justice is attacked. I feel for him. I put myself in his position. And I say, would anybody ever come and defend me when I face the things that I do? And guess what? Nobody does. But time and time again, I defend others. Why? Because it takes people who are courageous, who are not cowardly to stand up and say, here I stand, as Martin Luther famously said. Right? That's what integrity is. Integrity is not having to do something and yet saying, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And I stand to have all sorts of costs and very little direct benefits, but I'm still going to do it because I am going to be whole in my personhood. When I go to bed at night, I'm going to know that I did the right thing to protect principles that are worthy of protection. If he had received due process and it was found out that he violated truly egregious uh, codes of conduct whereby he is sexually harassing a co-worker, a co-worker who is his subordinate, where he is forcing her to have sex with him, then you know what? Throw the entire book at him. Not just the HR book, throw the criminal book. But no such thing happened here. And yet this supposedly brilliant cancer researcher is gone. He's erased. He's finished. If you'd like to support my work, you know what to do. And most importantly, stand up, talk, get involved. Don't be selfish in the pursuit of your life. A life of integrity is where you look at others who are suffering and say, I'm not going to tolerate this. Have a good day, everybody.